That's a nice new warning they have up, isn't it? Yes. Well, moist. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Hi, folks. Welcome. This is Samir, your host for 21 Leaves. And at 21 Leaves, our goal is to interview and talk to top performers to help you enrich your career, business, or even life. And today we're going to talk to Kay Peterson. And Kay is the, is the founder of the Institute for Experiential Learning. And she has devoted a lifetime uh, on this topic, um, helping others really, um, helping others learn how to learn. And that's really what uh, the topic is. And I'm really uh, very glad that, you know, uh, Kay is with us. And I met Kay uh, when I did the Experiential Learning course. And, and Kay, welcome and thank you for, uh, thank you for coming. Samir, thank you so much for having me. There's nothing I'd rather talk about than learning how to learn and experiential learning. So thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Great. So Kay, let's start at the at the very beginning of your career. You know, if you go way back, um, you were you studied nursing and you were a nurse. So so tell us, you know, how did you go from being a nurse to getting in this, in this into this world of experiential learning? Yeah. Well, a great question. And it's certainly not immediately obvious, is it, when you hear that? Uh, But of course, it happens step by step, doesn't it, when we are learning? And if you think about nursing, it's really the ultimate helping profession. And I think that's been a theme of everything that I've done. Um, But I did start in nursing and found that I loved certain parts of it and others not so much. And I kept searching for, um, for career paths, I guess, that were uh, in keeping with what my interests were. A few years after I went into nursing, I actually had an opportunity to join a family business. Mm-hmm. And I moved back to um, Northeast Ohio to join my father in a business. And that's when I made a switch to um, the, the world of business. I went back and did a graduate degree in uh, business. And that ultimately, years later, took into organization development. And organizational development took me to experiential learning. I, I think I must have missed uh, Dave Cole by minutes when I got my MBA at Case. Mm. Um, he and several other people were just coming there, but, um, I was not, not exposed to their work. But when I came back to case to do an organization development degree, my real interest was in emotional intelligence and, um, helping people change. And the first program that, um, was was experiential learning. And I have to say, Samir, I looked at it with some skepticism and thought, that's not why I came here. And I, like many people I've encountered, did not recognize at the time that our process of learning is the primary process we use to navigate life. Mm -hmm. And it certainly leads us through change as well. And so that was the day that the lights went on for me. And did, uh, did Dave take that course? He, was he teaching that course? Yes, it was David and Alice Cole mm. were teaching. I think it was a week-long course that we took. And honestly, within a few hours, 
I understood what an important, powerful process it was. And frankly, it made my life make sense up until that point. I could map everything I'd done up until that point the, um, using the learning cycle that we talk about so much, this ideal process of learning mm -hmm. that David Kolb identified in experiential learning. Wow, wow. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my life up until that point had been, you know, seeking novelty, trying new things, getting more information. I, at that point, had um, more than one master's degree and, you know, had just kept seeking, seeking, seeking more information. And so I was definitely preferencing part of the cycle and um, maybe ignoring or underutilizing other parts that ultimately have proven to be, um, to change my effectiveness entirely, so. Mm, wow, so, uh, you know, uh, what, what parts of the cycle were you, before you took the course, what mm -hmm. path for the cycle were, you, were your preferences towards? And after the course, you know, what changed? You know, where did you focus on that you, that you did not previous, previously do? Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the cycle itself is very simple four-step cycle of experiencing, reflecting, thinking, and acting. And what makes it so interesting is that it's comprised of two pairs of opposites. You know, the experiencing and thinking or how we grasp information, reflecting and acting, how we process or transform. But in general, Samir, you can think of those as being weighted toward experiencing would be relate, weighted toward relationships and being engaged, reflecting toward information um, and sense-making and watching and listening thinking toward analysis and acting toward doing and achievement and implementation. And I think until that point, I had really been heavily weighted toward uh, relationships mm. and seeking information, more information. Um, and in, in fact, that's the part of nursing that I loved was the relational part. And there's, you know, when you meet a great nurse, there's something healing about just being with them. And so, um, but not so much, perhaps, um, I didn't enjoy so much, perhaps the technical parts. And, you know, now think about healthcare is um, really quite um, computerized. You know, we no longer take notes. We have med electronic medical records and they certainly offer something and there's a cost to that gift as well. So I think I had been heavily weighted toward that. And when I saw <clears throat> this cycle, it was so clear to me that I wasn't always completing this cycle. Mm. That, you know, I would try new things, but I might find something better. And so I started thinking about things as pilots or experiments so that I would get through one cycle and then be able to go back and get more information and try something new. But it really helped me um, make decisions, you know, draw conclusions, make decisions and implement them once before starting again. Wow, it's, it's that, that one course that you take that, that changes the course of your life. <laughs> pivotal, very pivotal, yeah.
So let's maybe jump from the beginning to maybe something that happened very recently, which is, you know, the, the exponential learning profile and a new version of that profile, I, I think has been released very recently. So, so tell us about, you know, what, what is the upgrade? What is the, what, what is the, what is the, what is different and what's the updates in this new version? And maybe for the, for the listeners who, who don't have a context around this, maybe you can start with what is this profile and what is it for? Absolutely. Well, um, it's been 50 years ago now since David Cole um, created, actually became curious about mm. his students at, um, when he was a young professor at MIT, became curious about how some students loved his lectures. He'll say, they loved them as much as I loved giving them. And um, others really loved doing things. They loved simulations or case studies or discussions. And he, um, he developed this instrument to actually test out his theory of this four-step process mm. to see where preferences um, existed for people in grasping and processing information and how they used the cycle. And based on that, he developed learning styles or ways of navigating the cycle, mm -hmm. giving preference to certain modes and underutilizing or maybe even ignoring other modes. Mm -hmm. And the way in which we use that cycle really um, allows us to express ourselves in the world. It actually gives us the possibilities that we see in any situation. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's self-reinforcing because we're always seeking scanning for situations that will allow us to be successful. So for instance, if I am more acting, you know, acting oriented and experience, maybe experiencing and acting, I'm gonna seek situations that put me um, in on my feet where I have to think on my feet, act quickly, recover, um, you know, quickly, but try things without fear of making a mistake. Whereas if I'm more, um, more, if I preference reflecting and thinking, I might like situations that allow me to have more time to carefully analyze situations and allow me to try things out in my mind before I do it in the real world. And so the way we preference this cycle really makes a difference in how we express ourselves in the world. And yet we are all capable of doing all of these things. In fact, it's the way we're wired. Uh, we, Jim Zoll did wonderful research on this at Case Western Reserve um, when he wrote his book, um, The Art of Changing the Brain and From Brain to Mind, or from, yeah, The Art of Changing the Brain. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, uh, David Cole came up with the first learning style inventory about 50 years ago. and he and Alice Kolb, his partner and his wife, um, have recently uh, come out with a new iteration of this report. And what's so beautiful about it, Samir, is that it's really a, an instrument for self-reflection. So unlike many typologies that identify traits 
that put us in pigeonholes. Mm -hmm. the, the new cold experiential learning profile really orients us to this process, this mm -hmm. process that is our primary process for navigating life and the process we use for decision-making, problem-solving, conversations, for partnering and parenting. It's really the process we use all the time. Um, and it orients us to this process and then shows us how we typically use this process. Given just our automatic behaviors, mm. how we use this process. And from that information, it identifies a learning style that's probably our preference. And so that can give us great information about our strengths, our challenges, how we can show up on a team, what parts of a team process we can take in, we can take leadership in, um, how, you know, it really gives us a wonderful first look, but of course, no one is that simplistic mm -hmm. and we all have backup styles too. So in the kelp or the cold experiential learning profile or kelp, there are nine learning styles that are identified and these are beautiful, um, a more granular look at the cycle. Mm -hmm. There are nine different ways of navigating the cycle. There are nine steps in any process and there are nine parts of a whole person too. So it's a very holistic look at really how we live our life. Then also included is the a report of our backup styles or how we flex in the cycle. And, and given where we have developed those styles, where we have flexed our muscles and know how to use different styles, it also helps us identify the styles that are still developing for us. The styles that we might need to pay more attention to and be deliberate in our use. And I can tell you, you know, since I since I took the course, um, I've been more reflective, more seeking other people's opinions and um, perspectives uh, than what I did in the past. So, and it's been very helpful and not only in professional settings, but also on a personal settings. You know, when we have some personal issues, uh, I go back to the cycle and see if, you know, there's something I'm missing. So it's, it's really changed the way I sort of look at things and approach things really. Yes. Um, Samir, that's such a beautiful example of what is so powerful about this, because in some ways, until we make that process explicit, mm -hmm. learning our patterns or habits of learning are something that have us in a way they run us. But once, as you said, you saw the process, saw how you were using it. All of a sudden, it's something you have access to. You're driving that and it's empowered you. So that's a beautiful example of just that one insight can be quite life-changing, can it? So so through this, through this journey, what has surprised you the most in all these years that you have been, been developing this theory, teaching it, consulting, what has surprised you the most since you started? Oh, great question. 
Well, I think I am still in awe of the power of making this explicit. And, you know, again, David Kolb developed this 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, when David and Alice retired from CASE, um, we started the Institute to carry on this work. So at the Institute, we try to make this process explicit for everyone, everyone who comes to us, anyone we touch. Um, and I think I am still wowed by making that figural, you know, taking it out of our background and making it figural. Mm. I think. Also, Samir, the power of learning relationships, the power of creating space mm -hmm. between people in our relationships and just space for learning in this very busy world yeah. that is so performance driven that if we can also pay attention to the that dilemma, not only of performance, but also to learning and development, because they require some different things, don't they? Mm -hmm. um, they do. You know, we have to be in a space that's safe enough to make some mistakes and recover from those and create another plan and try it again. And so having, um, I, I'm really, always humbled by those relationships that allow for that learning. That's true. That is true. You, you also authored a book with Dave uh, called, and, uh, and you know, that book, you know, is uh, how you learn is how you live. Uh, that's the title of the book. Uh, what was the experience about your experience in writing the book, especially with a co-author? Oh, well, was, um, I mean, it was an incredible learning experience. You know, I mean, we could frame it in learning again. And certainly um, having David Kolb um, as a partner in that project was a wonderful experience of learning. Um, our learning styles, I think our home styles are a little bit different, mm -hmm. although I think... Um, David Kolb's style has become much more uh, concrete and imagining, but he also has access to analyzing and thinking and, you know, more abstract, um, more abstract strengths than I do. And so in that uh, sense, I think it was a really helpful partnership to see things from different perspectives. Um, and so you know, from a relational standpoint, that was fascinating collaborating together. And then we found uh, really extraordinary partners in Barrett Kohler, our publishers, and we did a lot of learning with them. Mm -hmm. I think they had very clear roles in the process. And so that was very helpful. Um, so there was a, you know, a relational part to it. There was a content, certainly, you know, making lots of decisions, mm -hmm. content went into the book and how we um, presented the information. Our hope was in writing how you learn is how you live, that we were taking this material out of a classroom setting and putting it into life so that um, 
any reader would understand how very practical this process is mm. and, and life-changing on many levels, really. Um, and the, the subtitle is uh, Using Nine Ways of Learning to mm. Transform Your Life. So, right, right. How with, long did it take you to write? Well, I think the whole process was probably, I don't know, two or three years, I'll bet, from the time that we came up with the idea. We uh, contacted Barrett Kohler and they accepted our proposal. And um, we wrote the book and had a, um, an editor involved. And then, and then it was many months actually before it, although we knew it would be published, it was many months before it was. So it's a multi-year project, yeah. That's true. I mean, I, I authored a book on program management, but you know, I was the sole author. I that was it. I didn't have a co-author, but uh, I, it was it was a you know two-year process even then, and I can imagine having uh, someone else to write with it. It adds a whole different level of complexity into into this writing process. <laughs> well, given that, given what you know now about um, the learning cycle and learning experiential learning and learning styles and how that can change communication with people, would that, um, how would that make a difference for you in writing a book with someone? Yeah, I mean, now I, 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 would, uh, I would write it more collaboratively. You know, that I, for a year I sat together and I thought I would have the whole outline of the book and which I never did. <laughs> so then I started writing one fine day and, uh, but you know, now I, I would, if I were to write a book now, uh, I would write it much more collaboratively. <laughs> right from the get-go. Yeah, it's interesting how regardless of what project we're working on, we can get stuck in our own yeah. way of seeing things. And so having a partner whose perspective is a little different can be really interesting, can it? Cool. Mm -hmm. You know, your, 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 current, uh, your current situation and your, in your current world, um, are there any habits, tactics, ta you know, tips uh, mm -hmm. that you you have performed to help you continue on this learning journey? Oh. Like some, yeah, yeah, there's some specific things for the audience that mm -hmm. you maybe on a daily basis. It doesn't have to be daily, but you know, something. Well, well actually, there's not. I wouldn't say there's an hour that goes by that I don't think about my own process. So I think the first tip is, as you said, understanding this process and how we approach it mm -hmm. and maybe what we're missing. So you, you referred to that idea of having just this little checklist of, I always listen a little bit longer or, you know, ask questions. Mm -hmm. So I think understanding that for me, I, it's really helpful for me because I'm more um, experiencing, I'm more in those Northern styles. So mm. I have to remind myself, as I say, to go South and stand back from a situation and look at evidence rather than just using intuition and feelings and, and relationships and what I, you know, the subjective, I have to step back and look at, things more objectively and it really helps me reach better conclusions. So I think understanding, um, having an understanding of the process and then monitoring your process, always realizing 
if you're not paying deliberate attention, you're in your default mode and you can really uh, change that, become more effective in very small steps. Little nudges can make you incredibly more effective. And then another thing, another tip is actually to partner with people who have different strengths, as you said. Um, but I do think, Samir, having this language to talk about learning and why those perspectives are different can be really helpful because then we are really appreciating differences and aware of when, um, when another person is overusing their strengths, it can become a weakness and we can actually talk about that. So mm. the awareness that if we overuse our strengths, they can become weaknesses. And we have to offset those strengths or leverage those strengths with even a little bit of that opposite pole in the learning cycle. So with experiencing, it's thinking. With imagining, it's deciding. Reflecting, it's acting. And I think that's the one you referenced. With analyzing, it's initiating. So understanding that a both and approach is usually um, a much more effective approach. I remember when we were doing the course, you know, um, sometimes you used, used to pose a question for us or, uh, you know, prompt us to react or provide feedback. And, and you were very patient and, you know, to the point of, you know, sometimes it was also in Zoom, but, but, but we used to get uncomfortable with the silence and then, yeah, but you were very patient. You did not jump in, you know, you did not prompt. So that's one thing I really noticed that, and it, you know, it, it brought the feedback from us as a group. <laughs> well, that's it's so interesting. But again, I think you're talking about that learning space, mm -hmm. creating the space. You, um, and there's something very different about living with this approach, Samir, I think. And it's really a belief that everyone is capable, that everyone's capable of managing their own learning process. And so, um, you know, people who are in helping professions also have to realize, realize that um, to, to appreciate the creators in others and not, um, and not uh, do things for them, not just enable or, um, yeah, to rescue, to rescue them. Yeah. But yeah, that's interesting. You'd notice that. I think that's interesting. Learning space on Zoom is very interesting, isn't it? Right. Yeah. It's, it's really, for, very different. Yeah. Missing some cues from each other. And so those all, um, yeah, those all make a big difference. Uh, in in this space today, in the learning space, you know what has you most excited? When uh -huh. you look when you look forward, you know what has you most excited in this space? Well, um, I am actually, you know, the first thing is how how to get this to scale so that everyone in the world we are creating the conditions for learning for everyone in the world and understanding this process instead of just paying attention to what it is we're learning. So mm. I think that's something interesting from a, 
you know, a, um, I guess a business perspective for us. How do we allow everyone to know this? But the things that I, another couple of things that I'm really interested in are this idea of how to create relationships that foster learning. You know, what are those, what's the secret sauce there? How, how can we show up for people in ways that really support them to learn? And, and what do we need from others to do that? And, you know, how do we create those relationships? Um, because we do live in a world of judge, you know, where people are very quick to judge mm -hmm. and it can be hard to be brave. It can be hard to Yes. take chances and try new things. So that's another thing. The other is this idea of developing learning flexibility, developing those styles that aren't necessarily uh, ones that are familiar to us. And when, when we are adults in our lives, how do, you know, where we've created lives that rely on our strengths and our current learning styles that have made us successful, how, what can we do to develop strengths in different styles before we need them? You know, just on an everyday basis, how can we take those chances to expand and be deliberate about expanding our repertoire? So, so when you talk about scaling, uh, you know, um, uh, how, how, how far back do we start or like, do we start in high school? Do we start in middle school? I mean, I mean, this content, what is the appropriate sort of continuum to, to get started? Mm -hmm. Well, I think from a very early age, you can see how learning styles begin, you know, with children, you can, you have children, so you can, I'm sure see yeah differences. Um, and certainly, it wouldn't be appropriate to give them the Kolb experiential learning profile. But this is a process, again. So I think we can use this um, implicitly as parents and educators of young children. We certainly can create programs that aren't just, um, you know, aren't just lectures using that banking philosophy of putting information in right. children's heads. Um, you know, we have to create situations where students make meaning. We as learners um, make meaning and connect with why learning is important. Certainly, we have to learn to think like experts in whatever topic it is we're learning. We have to know how to apply the information and get feedback Getting feedback is a real important thing, I think. I'll, if I can come back to that in a second. That's true. That's true. And then we have to try things out in first in safe environments, but then in the world where we get feedback all the time from people if we pay attention to it. So I think you can start those kinds of practices very early on. And if we know this process, we can do that for ourselves. You know, we can pay attention, be awake to our experiences. Then we can, you know, reflect and make meaning on those. We can certainly get new information from so many sources. I mean, podcasts and reading and Google and lectures and everything, you know, so everything's at our fingertips. We actually need, need some help sometimes curating all that information. Yes. And yeah. then 
and then trying things out and getting feedback. So, yeah. Yeah, no, staying awake and, and, and realizing and being aware. I think that's, that's a good starting point too. Awareness is the, absolutely is essential. Absolutely essential. So, okay, this, this last question that I have, um, you know, <laughs> I've actually stolen this from another podcast uh, by Patrick O'Shaughnessy in Investor's Field Guide. He talks about finance. But it's a, it's a very nice question. And, you know, I always give him credit when I ask people this question. And that question is, you know, what's the kindest thing someone has done for you? Oh, Samir. Samir, I remember you asking me that question before. And just the act of asking it, I think, creates kindness. Mm. Um, oh, I... Well, certainly, I've had you know, large acts of kindness and just those small touches. In general, I would say that unsolicited acts that are unexpected, um, but allow me to feel seen and appreciated, I guess would be um, what come to mind. I, my, I have two sons and a daughter-in-law and a husband who do things for me all the time that are kind, little calls or texts or um, anticipations of my needs are beautiful acts of kindness that change my world every day. And um, I, I have two friends that I've spoken to almost every week for almost 14 years now. Wow. I met them in a program and we decided to keep in touch and they've been wonderful mentors and um, learning partners for me. And I would say the kindest thing they do is to listen and not judge. Mm. So that's, that's something to treasure. Wonderful yeah. answer. Wonderful answer. Beautiful question though. Um, Samir, I remember when you asked me that question the first time, it made me pay attention. Again, the awareness piece, right? Mm -hmm. Awareness of yeah. how every day we can do that for others too. That's true. And that's true. Maybe that helps in learning, right? Maybe that helps us all learn. Yes, definitely, definitely. Okay, we will in the podcast notes uh, put the links to the you know the learning profile uh, and the books and everything else. But uh, thank you so much. Thank you for your time, and uh, this has been a wonderful conversation. Oh, thank you, Samir. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Kay. <laughs>